the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Worldview Media Podcast. We are going to review the classic film with Gregory Peck, for which he won an Academy Award in 1962, To Kill a Mockingbird. My name is Gordon Runyon, I'm your host, and with me in the studio and on the phone are two gals who have been known to uh, get dangerously close to houses filled with crazy people. Mm, That's true. (laughs) (laughs) this is my wife joyce hello hello and daughter jordan in college hello jordan hello and so we're talking about to kill a mocking board a mocking board (laughs) (laughs) i see how you're feeling today (laughs) i did have an adult beverage right before this but it wasn't that big Okay, so uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, and here we go. What is this story about? Well, there's kind of two plots to it, I kind of thought. There's an A plot and a B plot, and I think when you read the... If you read a summary of the movie, they're going to tell you that the plot is about a lawyer named Atticus Finch who draws the assignment of defending a black man on trial for rape in uh, 19, what would it be, 30s? Yeah, 1930s Georgia. And it was obviously a situation where most of the town was convinced beforehand that the, that the black defendant was guilty, and, and so it was an unpopular thing for him to do to try to defend him. And so most summaries of the film will kind of say that that's what this is about. But I felt like that was kind of the B story. And that the real story is about the daughter of Atticus. And her nickname, at least, was Scout. And she was quite a tomboy. And I think during the story, she's about six years old. Yeah. And the story is about her growing up and and witnessing these sorts of events and her relationship with her big brother and and all the trouble that they got into and stuff like that. So let's ask, Mom, what do you think of this movie? Don't pull any punches. (laughs) Well, it was a long movie. It was long. And I kind of thought it was a slow movie. It was very slow. And so, I didn't care for that. <laughs> right, right. I think it had it had some good parts to it. I think it could have been distilled. <laughs> right. Been a little bit more potent. <laughs> you know, I think that's a real thing. I was going to, I was sure I was going to mention while we were talking that I thought the pacing of the movie was incredibly slow. And I don't think that modern film viewers would really put up with that. You know, and and there's a lesson to be learned there for storytellers and those who are going to try to create 
uh, narrative that will be entertaining. And here's an axiom for you. It doesn't sound fair, and it doesn't seem like it ought to be right. But generally speaking, the reader of your story just wants to get on with it. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, really, there are there are exceptional writers who can go on for 10 pages about a sunset and or how glorious the morning was or something like that. But generally, that's nobody that you know. No, you know, that's once in a lifetime you run into a writer like that. Generally, if you think the reader is going to suffer through your 30 pages of description of the forest or something like that, it's just not going to it's just not going to work that way. The reader just wants to get on with it. And I think generally the the film goer, the movie watcher really just wants to get on with it. Let's move the story along here. And it was a very long movie and it didn't need to be that long. It was very it it's astonishing how slowly paced it was. Yeah. And so I offer an official apology for encouraging people to go ahead and watch this movie in preparation for listening to this podcast. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. But, um, <laughs> well, it was slow. It was, it was slow. Yeah, and I, it was. I wondered. I found it, like, looking at my phone and stuff. And... <laughs> <laughs> right. Jordan, do you have any other overall impressions? I think I think I agree with you that the the lawyering part of it was really secondary to the the plot. I mean, it was part of the plot, but it wasn't like I don't think that's how I would do the summary. But that's what I've always seen, you know. So it wasn't quite what I had been expecting. Right, right. So overall, you wouldn't grade this out very high then. Well, I mean, I thought it was pretty good, and especially I guess for the early 60s and stuff, but I don't know. I probably won't watch it again. No, no, I don't think I will. But part of me wonders if that's related to us as a society being right. everything. Yeah, you know, we yeah. like all the big um, CGI special effects. You know, there's got to be something going on every five minutes, you know, <laughs> there's, and part of me wonders, well, you know, have I been conditioned right. to expect that out of a movie where I'm really... Um, I'm really entertained, and I'm kind of, I'm a little bit more passive watching it. You know, it's there to, to just keep me happy and not really for me to say, oh, wow, look at this, and be more engrossed in yeah, the movie. Right. So, Well, the same thing happens in sermons. Uh, you read a book of, like, Puritan sermons, and you realize just to read through a sermon would be a solid hour, you know. <laughs> and that's what the Puritan congregation expected, you know, they didn't come to church to get out of there quickly, and yeah, and they wanted you to take time to build your argument and say what you needed to say, and and so have we been conditioned to have that shorter attention span? I don't think there's any question that we have. Uh, but my point as a writer is that I think it's futile to try to fight against that, or to say. I'm going to write differently. I'm going to demand that people pay more attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe you're that one in a generation that can write like that but and change the whole culture by slowing everything down. But generally, I don't think that's going to work. And there were a couple of things in the movie that I didn't like and I thought maybe represented some weaknesses. The first one was... 
you you run into the bad guy, the father of the accuser, the woman who said she was raped. Yeah. And he's obviously a bad guy. He's a drunk, and he gets mean when he gets drunk. And Sometimes he's just mean when he's not yeah, drunk. Yeah, he's mean when he's sober and worse yeah. when he's drunk. And I think it's pretty obvious that he's abusing his daughter and probably everyone else in his family. And, and so that's a real thing. But then at the very end of the movie... I almost felt like it came out of nowhere that he's attacking the kids. He's attacking Atticus's children and apparently going to kill them. Uh, that one kind of caught me. I'm not sure I felt like the movie did a great job of saying, no, he really is that bad. I mean, he's a bad guy before and obviously a jerk and, a, and you know, you can say all the bad things, but I wasn't thinking he was that bad. And when he jumped out of the forest to come get the kids, yeah. I'm not sure that was really set up very well. And I never felt prior to that like he had designs on the kids for any reason. I don't know. What did you think? Well, there was that scene where uh, they were both in the car while Atticus was in there talking to the wife. And he was pretty creepy then. And then, I don't know... He was with that whole band of like people wanting to like, like lynch the the guy, Robinson. So like, I don't know. Uh, so it worked. Just, it wasn't as big a problem for you then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it felt a little weird. I wasn't sure what his motivation was because everything had sort of gone his way. Right. But, right. Well, but, it didn't really. I mean, the the gentleman was found guilty. And they didn't appeal it, but, it, you know, when we get there, we'll, I'll talk more about that. <laughs> he was exposed in that. I mean, to anybody who would have half a mind, they f they really found out the kind of guy that this was. Now, that the jury didn't find correctly like they should have was just them being prejudiced, I think. They, they couldn't come back with something different, which is just a really sad reflection of the time. And I think it's probably more honest than not, but... He was shown to be an evil man, and he was evil in not only that he abused his daughter and his children, but then that he would set up an innocent man and be fine with that to send somebody else to die for that didn't do anything other than the color of his skin. But I do kind of agree with you that, you know, you're, you're in the forest, you don't know what's going on, you see these two sets of hands and, you know, oh no, what's this, what's that, and then to find out that it's that dad... Yeah. You know, that maybe the book is a little bit more <laughs> right. uh, detailed or explains it a little bit better. But, yeah, he was a creepy guy and he was an evil man. So is it really hard to maybe do something more evil? Right, right. It's all a slippery slope, <laughs> I guess. But I'm just saying, I think maybe they could have set that up a little bit better. Well, they had enough time. Wise. Yeah, they... <laughs> it looked like they were putting stuff in just to stretch it out a little bit. They could have done that. Okay, well, the, the other big issue that I had was with the courtroom scenes, and I just thought they were really not very good. You know, I've been in court. I've My dad was a lawyer. You've been in court? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh wait, I'm not supposed to talk about any of that. No, I've 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 been in a lot of courts, and and my dad was a lawyer, and I'm familiar with how the courtroom goes, and 
that was just not a realistic courtroom. And I thought it was a ridiculous directing choice to have the prosecuting attorney constantly have this pin in his mouth and and he's sitting all crazy in his chair, yeah. so he's got one leg thrown up over the arm of the chair. Yeah. That's ridiculous. There's no court that's going to let that stuff go or or be like that. And, and I thought the instruction to the jury was completely lacking and, and stupid. There was nothing about, you know, what does reasonable doubt mean? And I just thought the whole thing was kind of farcical. Mm. But it made me think about movies that I've watched where I thought the courtroom scenes were a lot better or a lot more entertaining. And so my question to the two of you is, <laughs> as you look back on your movie watching history or television, even what's your favorite courtroom scene in a movie, mama? My favorite has got to be from liar, 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 because, you know, as I was thinking about courtroom scenes and what goes on in those I think at one time to be a lawyer was really an honorable profession, but now we kind of expect them to pervert the law, to twist it, to make it conform to what they need it to do. And so, right. you know, that's the new definition of a lawyer. They're not about what's legal or what's right or what's right. justice even. And so, you know, for him to go in and and have to tell the truth. He has to tell the truth. And he does everything he can to get out of having to be there right. because he doesn't tell the truth. And he's a lawyer. You know, yeah. that's what it's all about. And um, the, the bathroom scene, probably where he goes in to try to beat himself <laughs> <Right>. up. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd agree. I think those courtroom scenes in Liar Liar are really entertaining. They're not realistic, probably any more than no. To Kill a Mockingbird. But... They're a lot more entertaining, that's for sure. Jordan, did you have a favorite courtroom scene? I was kind of thinking about, like, my cousin Vinny and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, all those courtroom scenes are really entertaining, I think. Yeah. What in particular did you like about it? I really like that first one where he keeps getting found uh, in contempt. <laughs> right, right. He's like, I won't be quiet, you know? <laughs> He's a fish out of water for a while. Yeah, and then... Has to come in that ridiculous suit that he found. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then and then it gets... Those courtroom scenes are good in a different way. Once he kind of gets gets rolling, gets some momentum behind him, then it's right. funny, funny in a different way there. And he, like, manages to actually be a pretty good lawyer with his questioning at the end and figuring out how right. the boys are innocent and stuff and... And you see that, like, he really was a good lawyer. He just needed to get himself together, you know? <laughs> right. Just needed to get his act together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, y'all took two of my top courtroom scenes. I think that leaves me with uh, a few good men. Yeah. I mean, that's a classic. <laughs> and Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. And you can't handle the truth. Yeah. Which just goes back to what I was saying about what really happens in court. You know, yeah. everybody knew what had happened. Nobody wanted to say it. Right. And nobody was going to say it until he, he kind of egged him on and said, oh, really? Tell me about it. Right, right. And so it, there really is a, a huge perversion in our justice system, period. Yeah. You know, that that's because you go up and you swear you're going to tell the truth, and then you just do whatever you want. <laughs> right. Okay. I think we're done with our introduction after this 
break, we'll get on with the worldview analysis using the five points of the biblical covenant. So we'll be right back after this. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. And we're back. We've been having a jolly time while y'all have been somewhere else. And Wait, before you go on, okay. I was really surprised that you didn't do the Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, not King, trial, where he's there and he won't recant. I really thought you would Oh, you thought there. I'd go with the diet of verms? Verms, yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, yeah, I guess that is a courtroom. Well, yeah, it is. Or even with Braveheart, when he's brought before the king, that's kind of a courtroom thing. Uh, well. You're going well, in front of the, the head well, guy. He's not gonna... American courtroom. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you stretch it out, there are uh, right. other. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm changing my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with Martin Luther. That was a good one. Okay, so here we are. We need to start talking about biblical five-point covenant. The first point is transcendence, where we talk about who's really in charge. And maybe the thing to talk about in this is, do we see any characters actually uh, actually being redeemed or or experiencing some form of redemption? Because that has to do with transcendence. And there were a couple of notes that I had And that was that it seemed to be a given in the movie that the courtroom may not actually give out justice. You know, by both the people on the right side of it and the people on the wrong side of it, there was still, it seemed to be a common belief that if justice was going to be found, you might have to go outside the courts. And that has something to do with the thought that there's a higher law than the human law. Now, I think, like you mentioned, Jordan, there was that lynch mob that showed up, even though they were almost certain to have the trial go the way they wanted it to. They were going to come and get their own justice. And then it started to... This idea came to my mind because I think the Bible presents a... If we were going to follow the Bible's blueprints for society... Well, I don't believe we would have a police force and we would have very minimal government. And then who would do the policing? Well, I'm of the opinion it would be citizen militias that would take care of that. It would just be neighbors watching over neighbors and stuff like that. And so the question then seems to be what separates a lynch mob from a Christian militia? 
And my answer is it has to be the law of God. And if, if the militia that you think you're in or the mob that's going after justice, if that mob isn't constrained by the law of God, then it's just an angry mob and it's a tool of the devil and chaos and all that. So I thought that had something to say about transcendence, that people on both sides of the trial had a common belief that real justice might have to be found elsewhere. Oh. Well, yeah, I think you kind of see that when the judge, and I think the judge goes up to him and before everything even starts and he says, I'm thinking it has to be you. Right, asking Atticus yeah. to defend You know, him. I don't think, yeah. you don't have to do it, but if you don't, this really, really then just becomes a farce because nobody else is even going to try. Right. So for me, I kind of see Atticus as that person with maybe a, some transcendence with him because he's he knows that there's a higher law that he's trying to follow and he's trying to do what's right. You're kind of slipping into representation. Yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> but we'll save that note. The other thing, the only real character arc that I thought had a note of redemption to it was the crazy boy in the house and how Boo, Boo and how he had a reputation for being a murderer and, you know, just criminally insane and all that. And part of what was scary about him is nobody ever saw him and, and it kind of left the kids to make up their own stories about him and make him whatever kind of monster they wanted him to be. And then right at the end, he shows up and and he's not a monster. He may be different, but he's not a monster. And he's, you know, he's not out to hurt anybody or anything like that. And winds up actually kind of saving them. Maybe the notion that we need to get beyond our perceptions, maybe, and our initial judgments and well, yeah, I think you see that if you if you do a, a comparison between the gentleman that was on trial and this other guy who had been on trial and his verdict had been, you know, different, but they were both uh, kind of ostracized and hadn't done, you know, really hadn't done anything. They were just, like you say, they were different. And so they were monsters because they were different right. and really they weren't, right. you know, no one had done anything. Okay, so I would boil it down just the just the notion shared among all the characters really that there really is such a thing as right and wrong and that may not be faithfully represented by human laws or by the agents of human law. And so I think the great sin in our day is equating human law and the and the agents of government with right and wrong. And it's a great threat to the church that I think we need to be speaking out against all the time. Well, I think it's looking at them as the absolute authority. Right. But because for the higher. Christian, yeah, it's the Bible, it's your scripture, and it's yeah. God. And if it doesn't agree, then it has no precedence. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so we move on to point two, which is representation. And in the biblical covenant, this is like if a conquering king moves into a territory and overtakes it and makes it part of his empire, then generally he would set up a governor to rule in his place and and defend his his interests and stuff like that. So the question is, who represents the king here? And and, and so if the, if the king is this sense that there's a right and wrong that's higher than human government, 
then I think mom already got it that Atticus is kind of the representation of that idea. That's what he's about the whole time. And I thought it was an artistic thing where they pointed out that being that kind of guy is going to is gonna put you in the position of doing some dirty jobs that nobody else in the community wants to do. Yeah. You know, we had you to... don't usually think of that right. in that light. But it really is true, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That uh, if you're the one that thinks that way... It's it's going to be up to you to take a stand when other people don't have the fortitude to do it or whatever else. Yeah, and it's usually the unpopular. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, that's why yeah. it's a stand. Is If yeah. it was popular, nobody would have to take a stand. You know? But for me, I kind of think, if is it right or is it not right? And that's... That's what it's about. It's not if it's popular or not popular. Well, and right, people that, should be able to sure. say, this is right. But they can't. They aren't able to do that. Apparently not. Well, and I think on the on the flip side of Atticus, you have the dad who definitely... The bad guy yeah, dad. You know, he yeah. represented just the, the general consensus of the people that, you know, we do what we want and we do what's right. What we say is right, and that's... He's kind of the logical end of that way of thinking, right? Yeah. Jordan pointed out when we were talking about him earlier that if you accept that sin is on a continuum and that we're kind of always in danger of sliding farther down than we would maybe want to go, you know, his racism and his alcoholism and his domestic abuse and stuff like that, that's only a half step away from actually murdering kids. And uh, all those, the the sins that we really despise, they're actually a lot closer than we might think that they are. And, and so if you have this community that's dominated by this racialism, that's a community where a guy like that guy is going to show up and, and be, for all intents and purposes, a leader in the community even though he's worse than the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else? Did did Scout, was she a representative of anything? Or was she just kind of standing in the place of the audience and kind of uh, learning as she goes and observing the same things that the audience is observing? You kind of need that in, in a story a lot of the time, especially one that's going to be long on exposition and explaining what's happening. You kind of need a character that needs to be educated so that, you know, you don't have like a Victorian era narrator talking directly to the audience to explain. Uh, yeah. Okay. I guess I can see that. Yeah, she's kind of that stand-in for the audience, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to ethics. Jordan, you come up with any kind of ethical concerns here? Well, just, you know, most of it. <laughs> right, the whole movie was kind of dominated. <laughs> I guess I guess mostly with, like, Atticus, though. Because, well, first she has to make the decision that he's going to do the, the trial and stuff. Like, he's going to represent this guy, and he has to know what that's going to mean for, like, his reputation around town and all this stuff. And he's still like, when he's talking to Scout about it, he's like, I still have to do this, even though people are thinking that that's not something that I need to be, that I need to be worrying about. And she says, you know, if you're, if, if you shouldn't do it, then why are you doing it? Because everybody else seems to think that you shouldn't. And he's like, well, if I couldn't, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be able to like 
So the ethical dilemma there is, are you willing to stand up and take the unpopular position for mm -hmm. the sake of doing what you think is right? And then, of course, it should go without saying that racialism within a Christian worldview has no place at all, you know. Yeah. And I would just point out if you're if you're not a believer in God and you don't believe that the Bible is true, what would be your reasoning or your logic behind saying that there can't be such a thing as a more evolved race and lesser evolved races? In fact, I think that's that's a logical conclusion for evolution. Yeah. You know? I was just going to There's only one place that fits. <laughs> yeah, right. And so yeah, every atheist will tell you that well, a lot, most atheists will tell you that racism is wrong, but they have no, I'm not sure what the reason is for them to assume that. Well, they don't even have a reason for saying there is such a thing as right and wrong, you know, yeah. to begin with. And then to pronounce on how evil racism is, well, I'm glad you think it is evil because it is, but you've got no reason for making that pronouncement other than your own preferences or, or whatever. But the Christian understands that there's one race and we all have one father and all descended from three women on a boat. And, <laughs> you know, we're all cousins that way. Yeah. Well, and then I'm just reminded of the scripture that says you're neither, there's no more male or female or slave or servant, you know, master, and that these things, they just don't exist in Christ, that you're one and there's unity there. And, no one's better than anybody else. We're all part of the body, and everyone's necessary. Yeah. Well, some people are better than me, but it's not because of race. They're just better people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's see sanctions. Who got what they deserved here in terms of keeping with the covenant? Atticus was the guy dealing with the ethical dilemma, and... I think we all agree he dealt with the ethical dilemma the right way by taking the stand and doing what he could and being willing to put up with the destruction of his reputation and even threats against his family and stuff like that. But did you feel like he was rewarded in some way for that or how'd that work out for you? I really don't think that he did really get anything good out of that himself. He just, I mean, it's like, you were saying he just did what he had to do and sometimes that is messy and, and you don't get anything out of it, it seems like. Yeah, I would kind of think maybe the one thing that he did get, it seemed like at the end of the trial, uh, the black community there at least was really on his side and in fact they kind of they kind of upbraided his children for not showing him the amount of respect that he deserved and stuff. You know, as the black folks are all standing up for him, they they kind of tell his kids, hey, you need to be standing up. This, this is your dad. And, uh, and I kind of wonder if, you know, kind of the closing monologue with Scout and all that, if if maybe the the blessing that Atticus received was just in the eyes of his children and how his children viewed him from that point on and maybe what they took and learned from the situation going forward or something mm. like that. There's, there's probably some of that, but I also think that even some of the townspeople had a different perception of what was going on and 
that he did take a stand and that it was the right thing to do. So he may have not had the respect of everybody, but I think... He had a good reputation among the people that were on the right side. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, do we have anything for succession? How's this going to go? Well, first off, you know, it yeah. doesn't look... The, the the defendant didn't get what he deserved. Oh, okay, we're still you in know, sanctions. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he was shot. Bad sanctions for a guy yeah, who didn't do anything wrong. Committed no right. crime, was imprisoned for however long before sure. the trial, was threatened before the trial with death, and actually wound up dying before any sentence was passed on him. Yeah, and I'm glad you didn't let me move on because there's another thing to talk about. If the... If the ethical idea is that the justice system, in quotations, if the justice system can't be counted on to deliver real justice, then that's going to have to come from somewhere else. That's kind of the continuing theme. And they're right at the end of the movie when the children are rescued by Boo and the sheriff knows that this Boo guy killed the bad guy with a knife. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, his dilemma in that moment is... Do I follow the written rules of what the so-called justice system says has to happen here? Yeah. Or do we do the thing that is obviously right and just and just call it a day? And uh, and so <laughs> and so that's an element of sanctions. So he he basically gave this Boo character, he gave him a a sentence of not guilty, you know, without without yeah. bothering with the apparatus and all that, which then, yeah. you know, that ties in with the whole thematic thing that we have going on. Well, me, I kind of questioned the whole picture of the, the scene that took place with the, the prisoner because I wasn't there to see it, that, you know, suddenly the guy freaks out and he's running away and he tries oh. to shoot him, but, you know, not... Just to injure him, but somehow he misses and, <laughs> right, you know, right. kills him square, you know, and I'm now like... You're, yeah, you're talking about something else. Let's make this clear. I was talking about Boo saving the kids, but you're talking yeah. about the black man that was on trial for rape. And yeah. after he was guilty and they were transporting him to a different jail... In another city. In another city. He... The story was that he escaped and made a run for it. And some guy tried to shoot him and wound him to stop him and, oops, wound up killing him. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure every other police officer that was there was going to corroborate that story. And So it just sounded really fishy to me. <laughs> yeah, and I don't sure know if that's did. because of the time I live in. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, you know, the, the man didn't seem like that in court that he would do that. Right. He didn't look frantic as he was leaving the courtroom, and yet and that's the story we hear. and. They found a gun in his overalls and stuff, too, after he was dead. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just, it seemed a little far-fetched to me, but then the issue was solved, apparently. So. Yeah, okay. So that was bad sanctions. Yeah. But, again, thematically consistent, because real justice doesn't come from the justice system. And so he's in the system, and he winds up... Uh, suffering a tremendous injustice from it yeah okay any other thing on sanctions i tried to move us too quickly off of that so succession in the covenant this is talking about how will this covenant arrangement between the conquering king and the conquered people how will this continue will it be his son that 
ascends to the throne or will they get to elect their next governor or, or what? So we make succession arrangements to say how this is going to continue into the future. And so when we're analyzing movies, I think here we want to ask things like, how does it look like it's going to go for our characters from this point forward? Does anything look like it's going to change or... Or what's it look like to you? Well, I guess you kind of mentioned that it looks like uh, Atticus with his kids and stuff. They they look like they're going to be okay. And yeah. Like their relationship is probably a little stronger. Maybe that you know they see this new side of him and the respect and stuff. So there's that, I guess. Yeah, and you can hardly think that they're going to grow up and be little racist themselves or anything. Yeah, I think it's obvious they're going to have a more uh, a more Christian take on that, even without necessarily calling it Christian, you know. Yeah. And so the society will change little by little. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully so. One at a time. Well, this is throwing us back to sanctions, though. Uh-oh. You got something to throw us back? I was All thinking right. about the the dad of Boo uh-huh. and their relationship and how he knew he was putting the little trinkets in the tree. And then he went and sealed it up. So I don't understand that relationship no, with either. them because this, the boy's never seen. Right. He doesn't want him to have contact with anybody on the outside. But obviously, this guy is plugged in and knows what's going on in the neighborhood because he knows what the kids are up to. He yeah. leaves them little gifts. You know, he he's he's aware. And so it just seems, you know, did he belong in an asylum? Should he belong chained in the basement? I mean, what what is this guy's deal and then what's going to happen to him when the succession? Is he finally going to be seen outside? Is he going to... Yeah, will it be more of the know, community or... Yeah, I mean, what's yeah. the deal? Because everybody's like, oh, stay away from the house. Oh, leave him right. alone. Oh, you know, and um, just real odd, that whole little thing there with the dad right. and the community and the boy. and. So some of that's kind of up in the air, <laughs> for sure. And what was the, what was the title about... Can somebody explain what, why it's called to kill a mockingbird? Because that's bad. Why is it bad to kill? Because they just sing. Because they're not eating your food. They're not e- destroying your plants. God just made them to sing for the entertainment of the people, and so there's some extra sin about killing the creature whose only purpose is to sing. I'm not quite sure what that had to do with the rest of the movie, but that was a notion that was stated a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Well, it's got to have some relation to those two people. <laughs> Jordan, you're the literature major. <laughs> Straighten this out um, for us. <laughs> okay. Well, I kind of got the feeling that, like, that, like both, uh, both the both the black man on trial and Boo Radley were sort of represented by the hummingbird idea or the mockingbird idea and that like you know the one obviously has this great injustice and stuff done to him and so like there's and it's it's wrong that he's killed and found guilty because he was innocent so he never did anything and yet he suffers as though he was you know 
this guilty man and stuff. And then with Boo, it's like the only thing that he did works out itself to be a good thing, you know? Like, he saved these kids and he got rid of this bad guy in town and stuff. And, like, putting him through, you know, this whole court system where who knows what could happen to him and stuff, that would be the same thing as, like, he's, he's basically, you know, he, he did the thing, but he is, in a way, also sort of innocent of that, like, crime. It wasn't a crime, you know? It was, like... Right, it, it was, was self-defense. It was still a righteous thing. I like these men who either who are, who are basically innocent people who who can either be done right by or, like, be, you know, like done wrong by and so the fact that the black guy I feel like I feel like they're mirrors of each other sort of and 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 like the one he's already suffered and it's already happened that that he's like been let down you know and it's like we have this choice here with the second one to to do the right thing and to and to let it be and stuff because like you know, it's, we don't want to do the same thing again kind of thing. But, you know, maybe with Boo, this would have been the second time something like that happened to him because something happened previously and then he was like shut away and never seen again by the world. But honestly, for me, between the black man and Boo, I would rather have the black man walking on the street (laughs) (laughs) because I don't know the the mental condition of this person or if he's stable or, you know, what's, yeah, it was called for. What he did was right. But who was he stalking? Was he stalking the guy, stalking the kids? Was he just out watching the kids and happened to see the guy? I mean, there's just, there's a lot more uh, questions and room for sinister stuff to happen with boo and you know that's probably unfair of me <laughs> <laughs> no i think you're right at least the black guy was a helpful he was generous you know, member yeah. of the community yeah okay well that's i'm looking at the time i think uh we should shut this thing down but you gotta remember yeah that it was a finch <laughs> Oh, as we're talking about birds, <laughs> yes. there was a finch. What does a finch do? I don't know. I don't even... Yeah. <laughs> we need an ornithologist. <laughs> I to... just... You didn't even catch that during the movie? No, I didn't. Oh, my word. A finch is a bird. Yeah. Okay, so some ornithologist <laughs> can be a consultant for us and explain how finch, finch relates do? to mockingbird. Okay, well, good. Now the listeners have their assignment. So here we are. We're at the end of To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm not really sure what we're doing next. We have to figure for a little while, but we'll post it on Facebook as soon as we come up with something. And again, what's the reason for this? The reason for the whole podcast is because we believe that arts and entertainment is a a region over which the Word of God should still have a position of dominance and authority that when jesus claims to rule over the ends of the earth that includes media and entertainment and and i'm convinced there are christians out there who are creatively gifted in areas like video game design and creative writing and and 
um, motion picture production and all sorts of communicative entertainment media and those Christians need to be encouraged and, and we need to help educate each other about how to do a good job of preaching a Christian worldview through these things. So that's what we're here for. We hope we've been a help to you and uh, that's what we're about in this podcast. So we'll say good night. Thank you all for joining us on the <laughs> Worldview Media Podcast. Goodbye, Jordan. Goodbye. Bye, Mama. Bye. I'll see you in the living room right after this podcast. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks.